We're turning this morning to uh, the book of Psalms, to the Psalms, and Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein, for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Amen. We thank the Lord for this reading of his word. Let's bow our heads again in prayer. Father, as we come to thy word, we pray for help in the preaching of it, and we pray for help in the understanding of it. Pray, Lord, that thou wast build our comprehension of thy ways. Lord, that we might have wherewith to uphold us in this world which changes so swiftly. Lord, from one philosophy to another, and even foolish philosophies, even the folly of man, which seems to be rife in these days. Lord, will man follow anything except God? Lord, we pray that thou wast help us that we might continue, that we might preach Jesus Christ, that souls might be saved, and Lord, that they might be delivered from the darkness which is enveloping this nation. And Lord, many of the nations of the world which have known the blessing of the Lord, Father, we pray that thou wilt help us, and Father, that thou wilt deliver us in these days. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I want to consider the whole of this psalm, really. I'm not going to go into it in great detail, of course, every word. Uh, that would take an awful lot of time. But I want to consider it under three heads, in uh, kind of in three sections, although it is one psalm, and we need to keep that in mind. Uh, there are some who think of it as being almost split into two different psalms. I don't think it is. Now, the first two verses speak about the creation and about the world's creator, and I uh, want to think about that first of all. The secondly, uh, from verse 3 uh, through to uh, verse 6, verse 5 in particular, uh, but we add in verse 6 there, that's where the Selah comes at the end of verse 6, and that speaks of the worthy conqueror, the worthy conqueror. And then finally, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and that speaks of the waiting church. So under those three heads, I want to... Uh, Uh, divide uh, hopefully uh, and we trust the lord rightfully divide the word of truth this day so uh, first of all the world's creator here uh, we the psalm begins with this wonder of the god who created the earth and of course that's the foundation isn't it of the gospel and it's the foundation of the law the fact that god created all things 
is what shows us that he is the one who has the authority to lay down what the of living are. Uh, the terms of life, the terms of the law. The law is God. It's not something external to God. Sometimes uh, people seek to judge God. Uh, but you can't judge God because God is the law. Uh, he is not answerable to some kind of an external law because if he was, then there would be something apart from God, which is eternal, and God would not be alone. He would not be the one God. He would be answerable to something else and a judge. Obviously, if there's a law, someone must judge. Well, God is not answerable to us because God created us. Therefore, we must be answerable to him. And that is where the psalmist begins here. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So all of the fullness of the earth, everything that is in the earth, belongs to God. It is God's. We are God's. And although men and women uh, would say, well, we don't believe that there is a God, uh, and we are atheistic, and we think that this world came about by uh, a series of lucky breaks, nevertheless, we still belong to God, because God created us. And because all of those laws, not just the moral laws, which we think about as being the law of God, but all of the laws, the laws of physics, uh, the laws of uh, uh, the ones that we know of the laws of physics. They are God's laws. It is God who has set these things in motion. It is God who upholds them. And so the fullness of the world is the Lord. It tells us here also in the second verse that he has founded them, uh, founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Uh, once upon a time that would have been uh, considered ridiculous and uh, unfounded. And the world would have said, well, obviously that's not true. Uh, they take other verses sometimes. Atheists and, and secularists would take other verses and talk about the pillars of the earth and, uh, and what men, uh, what the Bible teaches about the earth and not being um, uh, an orb and, uh, and how that it was flat and all this nonsense. It's nonsense. It's, it's just uh, poetic license speaking about the pillars of the earth. Uh, the... The apostles, Peter and James and John, were pillars in the church. Well, they weren't actual pillars, were they? Uh, they were just people who uh, supported the church uh, and were uh, necessary to it at the time. But I've just taken something here from the Scientific American, just a little quote. The Scientific American, which is a magazine which is still published today, and this is from a piece that was in it from uh, 2014. And it tells us this. In the, dirt, the Earth's deepest ocean, uh, the diamond from Brazil confirms that the models are correct. Olivine is ringwoodite at its depth. A layer called the mantle transition zone. And it resolves a long-running debate about water in the mantle transition zone. The ringwoodite is 1.5% water, present not as liquid but as hyd hydroxide ions. Oxygen and hydrogen mo molecules bound together. The results suggest that there could be a vast store of water in the mantle transition zone, which stretches from 254 to 410 miles uh, deep. It translates into a very, very large mass of water, approaching the sort of mass of water that's present in all the world's oceans. So this was a, a man named Graham Pearson, who's a, 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 the lead study author and geochemist at the University in Canada. So... Water is what the scripture says. He hath founded it upon the seas. 
Establish it upon the floods. Of course, the Bible is not a scientific book. It's not there to give us science. It's there to give us the way of salvation. But nevertheless, it doesn't contradict science. And that is what the charge is so often brought against it, that it contradicts science. It doesn't contradict science. It doesn't mention science in actual fact, or what's called science. I mean, the word science itself just means knowledge. Uh, so uh, what men know, uh, what they discover, well, that changes all the time, as we have no doubt uh, recognised uh, about many things which have been told us by scientists uh, which are no longer held as being true. Now, that changes all the time. But God's word does not change. It is ever the same. So the foundation, then, the world's creator here is the Lord. It is he who gives the law. It is he who must be appeased. It is he who must be honoured. It is he that we will stand before. It is he who will judge us in the day when we stand before him, when our bodies return to the dust from whence they were taken and our spirits uh, go ascend into the presence of God. The second thing here has a reference to that fact that God is the God of the world, the God of the earth, and indeed the cosmos. Uh, So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Now, of course, when we think about the the hill of the Lord and the holy place, uh, we might ask the question, what is David thinking? Well, first of all, of course, David knows only too well his own weaknesses. And here is the king, here is the chosen of God, here is one who is mentioned in the scripture as being a man after God's own heart, but he knows it's not him. He is not worthy to hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. He doesn't have clean hands and a pure heart. He has lifted up his soul unto vanity on more than one occasion, and he has sworn deceitfully. He uh, is not worthy to, to make that assent. And so he asks the question, well, who is? Who is? Is there any person? Is there any one in all the world who is worthy to ascend into the hill of the Lord and stand in the holy place? Well, the Lord says that there is not. In Isaiah, on a number of occasions in actual fact, in some, t- some t- ways I... I think that uh, that Isaiah is almost using this psalm as a as a basis of what he's saying and and following through and the Lord is making a reference to it but just listen to these verses from Isaiah Uh, there are uh, four parts here first of all Isaiah 41 and verse 28 for I beheld and there was no man even among them there was no counselor that when I asked of them could answer a word Isaiah 50, verse 2. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh because there is no water and dieth for thirst. Isaiah 59 and verse 16, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, listen to these words. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. Let's just read that again. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on 
righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. Now here we see that it is his own arm that brings salvation to him. In Isaiah 63 and verse 3, the last of these verses from Isaiah are mentioned in no man. I have trodden the winepress alone, and are none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. It's interesting that when the Lord Jesus is going to the cross, he utters these words, re- recalled from John. John sixteen thirty two. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me shall leave me alone. Jesus Christ bore all of this upon his own shoulders. God's own hand took salvation to him. He brought the righteousness and he is the only one. And I think that David had an understanding of this as he writes because David, as we read in the book of Acts, was a prophet and spoke beforehand of the death of Christ and spoke of the things of Christ. And when he speaks here, he is saying, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He is not saying that there needs to be someone like this. He is saying there is someone like this. It is the Messiah. It is that one who is promised, that promised seed. He will come and he will ascend into the hill of the Lord. And he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Remember that Jesus Christ, and we've mentioned this before, and, and it takes a lot of thinking about really, that Jesus Christ is both man and God. And although there is no admixture between them two to make him something other than man and God, yet nevertheless, sometimes we are considering Christ as a man. And as I've said to you before, God did not die on the cross. God cannot die. God is life. If there is no God, there is no life. The very fact that Jesus Christ became a man was so that he could die on our behalf upon the cross. And the very fact that he became a man, not just created separately from us, but created from us, Remember how Eve was created, how God created Adam, took the rib, created Eve from Adam. And then the promise is there in in Genesis 3 and 15 that God would bring the seed of the woman. So God makes man this time from the woman. And it is the seed of the woman. Now, throughout the scripture, and in fact, uh, just in nature, the seed is the man's. The seed is the man's. But he, he uh, properly speaks here of the seed of the woman. It is of her that Jesus Christ is made. And Jesus Christ comes into this world then that he should die. And he is both man and God as he walks through this earth. But it is he who receives the blessing from the Lord. 
as he dies upon the cross of Calvary. So we see the worthy conqueror, first of all the ascent. There was no man who was with him. It was he alone because no one else could ascend. No one else could go with him to ascend the hill of the Lord. No one else could stand in the holy place. And the book of Hebrews uh, reminds us that there is a holy place which is not made with hands. That is to say, using the words of the scripture, not of this creation or not of that which God has created, a, a holy place which is eternal in the heavens and stands in the holy place. He has clean hands and a pure heart. He has not lifted up his soul unto vanity. He has not sworn deceitfully and he has received the blessing from the Lord. There's an interesting thought here also concerning uh, Jesus Christ from Isaiah 44. Perhaps we'll just turn back to that. It's where we read earlier on. Isaiah chapter 44. It's always a good thing uh, if we're going to look at anything particular in the scripture that we turn it up and, and just look at it carefully ourselves. So Isaiah 44. Verse 1 says, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Now keep in mind that Jacob and Israel are the same person historically. That Jacob was born. That Jacob was the, uh, uh, the twister. That Jacob was the subverter or the supplanter. That Jacob came second. It's never uh, passed my uh, or escaped my attention that many times it is not the first, but the second that God chooses. Remember even Ephraim Manasseh how the Lord turned the hands of, of Jacob uh, opposite ways round. And it wasn't the firstborn that God chose. Remember Esau and Jacob, that it wasn't Esau, the firstborn, that God chose, but Jacob. And with Jesus Christ, it wasn't the first Adam that God chose, but the second Adam, it was Christ. And here, when we come to Jacob himself, he has this name of the supplanter, uh, which is the name Jacob, but then his name, when he, when he wrestles with the angel and his, uh, the thigh is put out of joint, his name is changed to Israel, the prince with God. And so here we read Isaiah 44 and verse 1, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jezurun, whom I have chosen, the word Jezurin means the upright. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon my ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the watercourses. Remember the first psalm which speaks about uh, the tree planted by the rivers of water. There goes on, one shall say, I am the Lord's. Another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. Another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. So both the names are used here. The name of Jacob and the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Let's read that again using the name Jehovah for the capitalized word Lord. Thus saith Jehovah, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the uh, Jehovah of hosts, or Jehovah Sabaoth, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. See, God has taken salvation into his own hands. 
He has brought redemption. He has come into this earth. Why? Because he could find no man. There was no man righteous. There was none who could die for the people. There was none who could intercede for the people. And God comes himself into the midst of us. In the person of Jesus Christ. To die upon the cross of Calvary for us. To receive gifts for men. As we also read in the scripture. And here he receives the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. As a man, Jesus Christ dies. As a man, he attains these things for man, for mankind. That as Adam lost all things, so Christ gains all things. As Adam is the father of us all, because we have all sprung from his loins... So Christ is the father of those. Remember in Isaiah he's called the everlasting father. He is the father of those who trust in him. Because our connection to Christ is not physical. But it is spiritual. It is by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. Romans 9, 6. The apostle Paul says. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel. Which are of Israel. Some like to make a difference between Israel and the church. Uh, They uh, use the terminology of replacement theology. And they say that uh, there is a replacement uh, theology, that uh, the scriptures are taken for the church which are meant for Israel. And Israel is different to the church. But that's not right. What the scripture is, uh, is teaching from the beginning to the end is there are the elect of God. And whether they are of Israel, whether they are of the Gentiles... They are the true Israel of God. Why? Because they're connected to Israel, which is Jesus Christ. It's not a replacement theology. We're not replacing the Jews because many of the Jews were wicked. Many of the Jews were destroyed. They weren't the Lord's chosen. In the days of Elijah, as we have already mentioned today, there were about 7,000 left who had not bowed the knee to Baal. What about the rest of the millions that were there? Who were they? Were they the Israel of God? And so it tells us this, that they are not all Israel which are of Israel. In Galatians 6.16, we read, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. So Jesus Christ is Israel. He is the prince with God. Israel, prince of God. That is Jesus Christ. And our salvation has been bought by him purchased by him received by him and the blessing is through him and he is the righteousness of all of his people who trust in him by faith and it goes on in verse 6 then this is the generation of them that seek him that seek thy face O Jacob and we're thinking of the person of Christ who is the second Adam who is the Jacob who is the one who hath indeed supplanted But who has he supplanted? He has supplanted the devil. He was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. And as we read there in in John 3 and verse 8, I I believe it is. He was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. You see, Jesus Christ is a supplanter. Not a supplanter of good, but a supplanter of evil. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And then we see here then this aspiration. This is the generation of them that seek him or inquire for him. Those who aspire 
after him. It brings to mind that word in Psalm 42, verse 1, as the heart panteth, aspires after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. The Lord will call those whom the Lord hath chosen have this great desire to know him. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Which brings us finally to the waiting church. And the church, and the word church is a, is a word which is, uh, uh, just really means congregation. Uh, in Scotland it was the word kirk. In other parts of the, the world a similar word is used, but church comes from that. It just means those who are the congregation. But it's become a word in itself. And so we speak about the church. In the New Testament, the word ecclesia, those who are called out. And so the church is both Jews and Gentiles. The church are all of those who have been called out. The church is all who are the elect of God. From the Old Testament end and up to this time. And the Jews, when God called the nation of Israel and the revelations were to them, to the Gentiles, when the disciples were sent forth to tell the gospel to all the world, all those who the Lord has called are the church. And the church has been waiting. And the church is waiting Never, even still. Oh, we, we desire uh, to, to know the Lord personally. But here, of course, the psalmist is writing before the fact. And so he is saying, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Uh, and I think, lift up your heads. Well, gates don't have heads, do they? But I was just considering this. And sometimes when you come to a city, and presumably what's in David's mind here is uh, the city of Jerusalem upon the hill of Zion. And presumably is thinking about the gates that are there and opening the gates uh, to the temple, which is the holy place, uh, which is pictured in his day. But lifting up your heads, I was thinking that the gates probably would have a, a, a gate in them. You know, uh, very often you may, if you see a big set of gates, they'll have a small gate where one person can come through. But when the king arrives, the gates are swung open. And the, the, the whole entourage sweeps through those gates. And the heads of the gates, of course, need to be open. If you go to Windsor, you'll see there the station, the lower station uh, in Windsor has got very, very high doors. And you sort of think, well, why do you need doors as high as that? Well, it's so the soldiers can ride into, into the station on their horses. And so the big doors need to be open. You just can't go through the small door. And here, I think, is what is being said here. Lift up your heads. Uh, carry your heads, O ye gates, open up, be lifted up, ye doors of eternity. That's, that's the word here. Entrance city, doors of eternity, gates of eternity, uh, whichever uh, portal you would like to, to name here, but eternal. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? Jehovah, strong and mighty. Jehovah, mighty in battle, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and even lift them up, ye everlasting doors of eternity, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Jehovah Sabaoth, he is the King of glory. And it is the Lord who took salvation into his own hand, who came into this world to die for us. He has made bare his own holy arm. And by his right hand and by his arm he hath had favour unto us. 
His right hand, his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. Christ, the power of God. Oh, we give thanks greater salvation. A salvation which is undefeatable. A salvation which is rooted in God himself who created the world. A salvation which comes from him. A salvation which cannot be defeated because God is eternal. And because God upholds all things. In fact, in Colossians it tells us that Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. It cannot be overthrown. This is the salvation which is come. The Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thinking at this time of the year of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is he who came into this world. It's no wonder that we, we celebrate uh, what has been termed Christmas. Well, of course, it's not uh, a mass. Uh, so it's not really Christ's mass for us. Uh, we don't have masses. But nevertheless, uh, it is a time when we remember the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was speaking to a young Muslim man uh, last year, I think he must have been, or well, might probably have been older than that because couldn't even talk to people last year. Uh, but uh, it must have been further back than that. And he said, well, why do you have Christmas? Because nobody knows when Jesus was born. And I said to him, well, it's just the same as having uh, a birthday, an official birthday for the Queen. Uh, the Queen has a birthday. We know when that is. But she also has an official birthday uh, when they fire the guns and they uh, uh, troop the colour. And uh, that is to honour the queen, Queen's birthday. But it's not on her birthday. We don't know when Jesus was born. We don't, some people think it was around December. Many think that it was in September. But whenever it was, well, if you have to pick a day, pick a day. And does it matter what day it is? Well, we gather together and we remember the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is central to all that God has done from the foundation of the world to the winding up of this world. When the great judgment shall occur... And all those in Jesus Christ will be safe, undefeatable, unjudgeable, because the judgment has fallen on Christ already. The recompense to the enemies of the Lord will come. Oh, that we might have this great aspiration for the coming of Christ. The psalmist speaks about opening the gates, even the heads of the gates, because so great is the glory of the King of glory. But let's just ask ourselves the question. As we are members of that called out people, as we are members of that ecclesia, of that church, what about our hearts? Are our hearts open? Do we have the aspiration to have the Lord to come into our hearts and to, to be a blessing to us? The scripture uh, speaks about the Spirit of God being given. We read there in uh, that book in, in Isaiah 44.1. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Do we have that hankering, that panting after Christ? Come into my heart, fill me that I might know the fullness of the blessing of the Lord, not just be one of those who attends and is there with the people of God, but assured of the presence of the Lord. The church, the gathering of God's people, 
Uh, the church as, a, as an entity, if we can think of it as an entity, is to swing open the doors for the king of glory. We are a part. If you are Christ, you are a part. Swing open the doors. This is the king of glory. Or have him in your heart and aspire for more of Christ. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us today.